Welcome to Round Hill Radio, the podcast from Round Hill Community Church. Through our conversations, we discover the holy and the ordinary, find moments of grace and peace, and redefine what we talk about when we talk about faith. Today is the first part of a two-part series all about our church's recent trip to the Holy Land. A small group went there recently, and they are back and sharing with us their stories. First up is Pastor Dan, and then next week you'll get to hear from some of the team members who traveled there with him. Enjoy! Welcome to Round Hill Radio. I'm Leslie. And I'm Dan. Welcome, Dan. Thank you. This is very exciting. I'm excited. We were trying to decide if I think you were on. You were on last season because this is only our second season. That's right. But uh, many, many moons ago. Mm-hmm. It's and good to be back. It's good to be back. And you're also back from a big trip. I am back from the Holy Land. From the Holy Land. That's an all-encompassing term. Where in the Holy Land were you and who were you with? Yeah, so we were part of a team of 18 people, and so the Holy Land is generally considered Israel, but there are other sort of special sacred sites in the that region. So we went to uh, Palestine, which is the West Bank, and also to Jordan. So those three areas, and we were there for 14 days. So did you go? Did you guys go with a group, or was this all pre-organized, or how did this all come to? Yeah, pass? so uh, we went with a group called Philemon Tours, which I had the opportunity of going to the Holy Land five years ago with the same group mm-hmm. when I lived in France, and the trip was so remarkable. I thought if I ever have a chance to help lead a church group to go, I'd like to go with this company. Mm-hmm. So they kind of helped arrange our logistics and worked with me for the itinerary. And then about 18 months ago, we put out the word to members of this church to say who would be interested in going. And there was a great response. Many people have uh, never been. And this church had never gone, had never done a Holy Land trip. So mm-hmm. seemed to be the, the timing was right. Well, it's so exciting. And I know we're hoping to put together a, a small podcast with people from the the trip. We'll see if we can make that happen, mm-hmm. fingers crossed. Um, and you're also saying in church on what day? You're yeah, June something. 16th. Mm-hmm. It'll be Holy Land Sunday. Holy Land so Sunday. So the whole service will be dedicated to team members sharing their stories. We'll have uh, photos, testimonials, readings, reflections. And then I think we'll do a forum afterwards with a little reception, which will probably have hummus. Because that's what we ate, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, every day. <laughs> hummus all the time. Hummus all the time. I'm actually having hummus withdrawal still. I know. It's so good, though. It's really good. I love hummus. Yes. It's not sequitur. Um, so you you sort of got this whole thing started. What was your role on the trip? Were you sort of one of the just sort of tourists, for lack of a better word? Were you taking a leadership role? Like what? what I, I saw lots of pictures because we have a great social media page. I highly yes, recommend you guys all follow. Um, and I saw Sue doing some readings and taking sort mm-hmm. of moments. So what was the impetus behind that? How did you plan those out? Were they spur of the moment? Yeah. So I, I was, they, they dubbed me the, the shepherd, shepherd Dan is ha. what they called me. And nice. they were the lost sheep, their own words, mm. so the scattered sheep. So I was trying to keep everyone together, keep mm-hmm. everyone safe. It was interesting because my role was, yeah, part tourist, part guide, 
part pastor and part chaperone trying to just you know uh, i mean i was the one that would do the wake-up calls at 5 30 or 6 30 a.m i'd have to go to make sure everyone got on the bus and say do you have everything (laughs) uh we we joke about that now because it was well there was part of that just the logistics of making sure sure everyone got to where they needed to be but one of the things i had the privilege of doing was based on our itinerary, the different sites that we would see, mm-hmm. finding stories in the Bible, either Old Testament or New Testament, that took place at those sites. And so before we left, we created um, sort of, a, a, well, two things, a recommended reading list just in general, mm-hmm. books, articles to help people get more acclimated with the Holy Land, the city of Jerusalem, the sites that we'd be seeing. But then I created a Bible reading plan that followed our itinerary And we put that reading plan on the church website and on the church app so people from the church could kind of follow us along as well, read the stories from the Bible, the sites that we were going to be visiting. And then our hope was every night we would update the social media, Mm -hmm. as you said, Mm. with the pictures. So each day in the mornings and the afternoons, I would read a story from the Bible at that site, at that spot, which for me and for our team members, really helped that story come to life more. Mm-hmm. The, the, the words kind of jumped off the page when you're literally standing in that spot or at least the area where you know that that story took place. The sights, the sounds, some of them virtually unaltered in 2,000 years, others very much different. Yeah. But we did that for all the sites. And then at night, after our team dinner, I would lead a group time of reflection or debrief time where we would all speak about our experiences that day and you know realizing that everyone saw the same site but every person experienced it differently every person saw it through a different lens Mm -hmm. so we came together and we talked about that each night and then when that time was done i would ask two to three people to write up brief reflections that evening while it was fresh in their mind and heart And we would then send that to the church, and that was posted online. So part of my job was not just leading the group in the Holy Land, Mm -hmm. but also communicating with our congregation back home because we really wanted them to feel like they were on this journey with us from start to finish. What I'm curious about these times when you were were leading them or telling them stories in 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 places that have been altars and places that hadn't. Do you have a couple like or an example from each of those you could share? Yeah, I've got a few. So, one of the first places that we went to visit was up in Galilee. We actually our, our whole trip was entitled Journey to Jerusalem. So we were ending in Jerusalem, which meant the first week or eight to nine days we were not in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. We we went up towards the Galilee area, Nazareth, and then sort of down towards Jerusalem. So while we're up in Galilee, it's a beautiful lake, really beautiful lake, which is not untouched in 2,000 years. certainly looks like the lake, the Sea of Galilee, that you would picture in the Bible. We were able to go to some of those mountainsides. They were green, they were plush, full of vegetation, beautiful, peaceful, tranquil, and we were able to be at some of the sites that historically Jesus was with his disciples, Mm -hmm. uh, where he uh, fed the multitudes, where he taught the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. Now, in each of those sites, different branches of Christianity have kind of claimed that spot, and so they built cathedrals. Mm -hmm. And they're beautiful cathedrals, but outside of the cathedrals, when you're just on the mountainside, in that landscape, you were really seeing what Jesus would have saw. 
the view of the rolling hills, the view and the smells and the feel of the Sea of Galilee right there. Lots of the stories talked about Jesus walking along the shores of the Sea of Galilee, stopping by these different towns with synagogues. We were able to go and to be in the ruins of these old synagogues, you know, from first century. And you know that Jesus taught in those synagogues. Mm -hmm. So being there gave us a sense of what it would have looked like and, and felt like. There was one really interesting place in Nazareth, which the city itself is very different than it would have been. But just outside of the old city, about 20, 30 years ago, they created a sort of a replica city, a replica village of Nazareth. So it's a reproduction, but it's really meant to look like the old Nazareth would have been. Mm -hmm. So they make all their food there. They make all their clothes. They make all their tools. And we only spent two or three hours there. But that gave you a real sense of the town that Jesus grew up in as a child. Mm -hmm. And moments like that helped bring those stories more to life. So on the opposite side, when we were in Jerusalem, we walked the Via Della Rosa. And the Via Della Rosa is the path that Jesus was walking on towards the cross in Golgotha where he was crucified. And then closely to that spot was the, the grave, the cave where he was buried. And the stories say that it was just outside of the city gates. It was in a garden and there were new tombs that had never been used. So picture in your mind, whatever that would look like. Well, now there's a massive cathedral the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which is built on top of another church, which was built on top of another church that went back to the third century AD. But when you get there, there are thousands and thousands of people pressed up against you. Um, everyone's talking, everyone's taking selfies, and there's cameras and videos, and there's incense, and it's an overwhelming place to be in. Mm -hmm. But it felt so far removed from that story. Sure. It felt so far removed from that Good Friday story, from the narrative of Easter Sunday. And so for myself personally and our team members, you know, we went, but we couldn't leave there quicker. Mm -hmm. And we left thinking and we, we reflected that night. People said, I just didn't have any connection to that spot. Yeah. But other places that were either uh, recreations or just more preserved the way that they would have been 2,000 years ago gave us more of a sense of connection to the story mm -hmm. and in general just more of a sense of peace than some other sites. That must be so difficult trying to, as in, people who live there, trying to honor that past but then try to have life happen and modernity happen and trying to figure out as people who are charged with taking care of these places where that line gets drawn, you know. Yeah, I'm not sure how you do that because you're right. I mean, even the city of Jerusalem, even in the old city, which is only one square mile, it's a tiny place, mm -hmm. but it's jam-packed with life and vitality, three different religions all there. You have these different quarters and people are living and shopping and there's markets. And so it's still an old city and they still preserve as best as they can the old customs and traditions. Mm -hmm but it's just flooded with tourists as well. Sure. So, yeah, you wonder how can you try to keep that sacred while it's also, in some ways, a modern city. 
at least people are you know, living in there actively. So it's not, a, not an old ancient city like ruins. Right. So there's still life and vitality there. It's hard. It, and for some people, you know, I know some people that have gone to the Holy Land and have only went to Jerusalem. I mean, their whole experience was sort of the old city. And that would be a very interesting experience just to go there yeah, and, and nowhere else. Sort of unfulfilling if what you're looking for is that real sense of history. Right. Yeah. yeah. It made me think what you were saying before about how there's just so much many tourists and phones and everything. It made me think of um, the first time I went to see the Mona Lisa and standing I don't I'm not awesome with crowds in general. And so there's just these masses of people that you sort of stand in this queue. You all know this. Um, you're standing in this queue and you sort of get through and everyone is staring at her through their phones. And I full on burst into tears because I was like, they're not respecting her. They're not giving, you know, like that did, we did a whole like I had a moment. But it made me think of that um, just how we can sometimes view important things through phones and lenses and all you can sometimes see is the tourists with their phones and you're just trying to honor something and it just feels so the technology feels so loud in those spaces and so like almost um just so out of place mm-hmm. yeah uh, i've had that same feeling there uh in, in paris and even in the sistine chapel too Oh yeah. But you're not supposed to take pictures, but everyone's trying to Everyone take pictures. Everyone takes pictures. And you think and it's uh, you think maybe if I was there by myself, if I was looking at the Mona Lisa by myself, if I was at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre or at the the Western Wall by myself, mm-hmm. no cameras, no distractions without the masses of people, maybe then it could become that sacred special transcendent moment. Mm-hmm. But when you add everyone else, yeah. it just it it changes it in some way. So, it's hard to know because you 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 can't go to Paris and not see the Mona Lisa. Right. But then when you go sometimes, you think, what did I see? Right. It's also a lot smaller than you think, too. She's so she's little. Like, she's tiny. She's so little. Yeah, she's so little. Yeah. yeah, but she's so, like, luminous. That was no, the thing I no. thought about. Because you don't, you know, you grew up seeing pictures, and I come from a very, like, artistic household, so there's always images of great art. And I just, I couldn't get over how just, like, she glows. We've taken a non-second. We've taken a whole tangent. Sorry. No, but this, this is a good totally tangent. totally my fault. Well, we like art, so. Well, you know, here's one place that's like that. And, well, I contrast it. The Dome of the Rock. Okay. So that is probably now the most iconic picture of Jerusalem, mm-hmm. right? And it's also the most controversial as well. But that whole area by the old Temple Mount where uh, Orthodox Jews are not allowed to go mm-hmm. because the, the closest they can get to the old traditional spot of the temple is the western wall why are they not allowed to go there they believe that they're afraid of stepping where the presence of god was ah it's like keeping uh keeping it holy right keeping it holy so they there's actually a sign that says you you are strictly forbidden of entering the temple mount wow so non-jews can go of course tourists can go and it's a place it's a holy place for muslims now but it's preserved so you get up there it's a beautiful mosque uh, there's two of them actually up there, but the Dome of the Rock is over the most sacred spot for Muslim. Well, one of the most sacred spots for Muslims and the most sacred spot for Jews, where the temple stood. So it's beautiful, but it's also in a park. So there's trees, there's birds. I mean, you hear birds singing, and there's beautiful trees, and you feel the breeze because it's the highest point in the old city. And so that was one of those moments where it wasn't 
underwhelming at all. In fact, it was amazing. And you think, wow, this takes my breath away. I could stay up here a lot longer. But then there were so many of the other places, like the Mona Lisa experiences or the Sistine Chapel, where you wait in a line for two hours to touch or to kiss a little piece of rock that supposedly was the place where Jesus was born or where he was buried or whatever. And everyone's waiting in line to take pictures and selfies and videos. And you think, what did I see? I mean, what was the point of that? Right. So you have to do those because you can't go the Holy Land and not visit those spots. Sure. But it's finding those other spaces and those other places that were really, I think, uh, significant to us. Mm-hmm. And so what were, you mentioned a few of them, but what were some other places that really became uh, sort of lightning rods for your experience? Mm. Well, yeah, the Dome of the Rock for sure was... Um, I think Bethlehem was very interesting. You said that was really different to your expectation, yeah, right? Yeah. So, you know, if you picture, if you know the story, if you know some of the songs of Little Town of Bethlehem, you right. picture this sleepy, quiet, little quaint village. Right. Everything's like in silhouette and there's like candles and yes, the star and a donkey. And a donkey. And some head. One. Yeah. Yeah. And the baby is quiet. Right. right? So oh. everything's quiet. Everything's super mellow. There's stars out there. And <laughs> Until the drummer boy shows up. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. He wasn't invited. He just kind of <laughs> showed up. Uh, yeah, so that's that's kind of what you picture. And you, right. you know it's not going to be like that, but you still picture that in your mind. Sure. Well, to get into Bethlehem, you have to pass by a number of security checkpoints with fully armed automatic weapons with mm. soldiers. And you have to go under a 20-foot concrete wall, which surrounds the entire city. Hmm. So welcome to Bethlehem, right, um, as Israel has built these walls around Bethlehem. Because Bethlehem is actually controlled and policed by uh, the Palestinian Authority. Okay. So it's you are in the West Bank. You're okay. in Palestine at that point. Okay. And to that end, many of the other American tourist groups who visit the Holy Land do not go to Bethlehem okay. for that reason. We decided we wanted to go, not only to see the Church of the Nativity, where Jesus supposedly was born, but to have that experience of Bethlehem and to have experience with Palestinians. But as it, it's a marked difference between outside of the wall and inside of the wall with just even the level of poverty. I mean, it's it's a very poor place, and it's only, I think it's four miles or five miles outside of Jerusalem. It's that close. Wow. You could walk from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. It was not far. You can certainly see the two, but huge contrast between the two and taking the, the bus sort of into the wall. And the, the culture is different. Obviously, the language is different. It goes from Hebrew to Arabic. And it's a whole different place that's run differently and there's a different feel to it that was an, it, it, such a contrast in a matter of uh, just a few minutes from traveling from one to the other. Mm-hmm. And so that was also challenging to try to get our minds around what that first Christmas Eve would have been like, mm-hmm. kind of that silent night, so we think, and then just a very active, busy, bustling city that's full of tension. Right. Well, I wonder back, you know, how 2,000 years ago, what the landscape, in terms of the geopolitical landscape, looked like then. Because I'm sure so much has happened since that it might have been a little bit more. Well, that's a good point. See, we, we talked about that. I think the actual landscape would have looked very different. Mm-hmm. It, it Bethlehem was a, sort of this hill town and probably much more pastures and there's a lot of um, grazing areas for sheep and shepherds and a lot of caves and homes were in caves 
uh, Solov stone, you can't find that anymore. That's like buried all underneath the surface mm -hmm. in Bethlehem. But the geopolitical landscape, you know, look, it, it was occupied by Rome. So there was a lot of political tension. There had already been uprisings among Jewish revolutionaries that were squandered and they were put to death on public access roads. At that time, we know that the uh, Jews had to go all the way back to their hometown. So it was very busy. And the story says it was so busy in Bethlehem, there was no place for Joseph and Mary. So it actually would have been crowded and noisy and at that time probably felt polluted and overrun. So I was trying to talk to our team about that. And even in Jerusalem, the Via Della Rosa, which is full of tourists now, when Jesus was making that, that ascent to the cross, he, it would have been crazy busy. I mean, it was the busiest time in Jerusalem, thousands and thousands. I think this is the population would have, would have swelled 300% during that time. Wow. So, you know, a tiny, tiny, well, not a tiny city, but a small city gets overpopulated during the Passover. Mm -hmm. So it would have sort of looked and felt and sounded like it did when we were there as tourists. And so I think it's actually important that we now, for our team, when we read those stories, we no longer would make the assumption of what it would have looked like or sounded like or felt like. We actually have a better understanding now. And it wasn't so peaceful. It wasn't so calm. Mm -hmm. And that's probably good news for us. Because our world that we live in and our lives are never what we hope them to be or intend them to be mm -hmm. sometimes. And we think, is God still working in our midst, in the midst of the chaos and the busyness and the noise and the distractions? And the answer is yes, you know, even in the midst of that. That our worlds might not be so different. Maybe not. You mentioned cave dwellings. I'm going to use that as a segue. Oh, segues are good. To Petra. Oh, yes. You went to Petra, right? As like a little coda on yes. your trip. Yes, Indiana Jones. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's... I had to wear the hat. So, oh, of course. Of course. That's, I would have been really I didn't have one of those whips, though. I or mean, whatever that's they were. probably best for everyone. Yeah, maybe. But I would have been disappointed I could have got carried away. That's true. <laughs> have, yeah. I did almost step in camel poop. Mm. So that's something. Full experience. Yeah, of course. Full immersion. Yes. <laughs> so what was that like? That seems so cool. Yes. Well, Petra, it was, it's it's hard to describe because you've seen it in pictures. I feel like I've seen like that image, right? The one in the movie. Right. That's just like, and I wonder like, can you go in that? Are there other places you can go yeah. in? Great question. So you can't go in that. Ah. I know, which everyone gets disappointed in. And it's not as deep as the movies, like there's nothing in there. Well, sure, yeah. Truly, I there's actually, there might be like a room or something. Yeah, well, there's sort of a little room, and they call it the treasury. So people used to think that gold was buried there. Sure. So they would try to dig in there, but there's, there was no treasury. There was no well, gold. But beyond that, it's it's massive. I mean, it goes on for miles, miles. What? You, you could spend a full day or two days. They have a mon an old monastery. You can visit all these other storerooms. They have an amphitheater. All of these things, an entire city, large, large city that I believe, I believe they said could have or did house 30,000 people. What? 30,000 people. And the entire city is cut out of rock. Amazing. Now, the treasury is the most elaborate of all of them. Sure. But everything else is, is equally as stunning. And so that was something that was surprising. But also to get down to the treasury, it's a two and a half mile walk. Uh, with uneven roads and cut into this very narrow, you know, in between these rocks. I mean, it's oh, an yeah. extraordinary, breathtaking walk that takes a long time, which people don't 
really fully appreciate. Sure. But then you come around this one turn after walking for well, with our team for about an hour or so, hour and a half. Wow. And then you take this one turn, and then you look up and you see it. And that moment is really amazing. It's extraordinary. That moment alone makes that walk worth it. And then you go in there, and then, you know, again, there's people selling photographs and posters and trinkets and camel rides and donkeys and all of that. But if you can get past that and just take some time to walk and take in that huge city and what that would have been like, tucked so far back and protected in the rock, so isolated from everything else, but yet along a major trade route, which is why it got so important. So yeah, that was really interesting. And we, we extended our trip three days, basically, in order to do Petra. Because from the capital of Jordan, it was a five-hour drive. So it's a long drive down there. You spend the day and you go back. But even in Jordan, we were able to see some other pretty historic sites. And one of them, which it was interesting because it was the bookend of our of our trip. The last site we saw, I called that day back to the beginning mm. because it's Mount Nebo, or they say Mount Nebo, which is the spot where Moses stood in the, that land was called Moab at the time, but it's Jordan now. And he stood on this mountaintop and overlooked the promised land. Mm. So he overlooked everything that eventually would be the Israelites, and he divided up the land among the 12 tribes. So at that point, now Moses never ends up getting into the promised land. He dies on that mountaintop and was buried somewhere below. And then Joshua ends up leading the Israelites over the Jordan River, well, through the Jordan River, and then into the promised land. And then city by city, they capture and kill and, you know, conquer. And eventually that whole land becomes theirs. But that's really where the story in some ways begins. Mm-hmm. And that mountain where Moses is looking out to see the the land that he believes God has promised to uh, to all the people. So that was the very last site that we saw before we made our journey back. Wow. That's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing all this with me. This has just whet my appetite for hearing more from the group that went. And uh, so we invite all of our listeners to attend that June. June 16th, 16th Sunday. 16th Sunday morning, 10 o'clock. Here around mm-hmm. Hill Community Church. Uh, thank you so much. Do you have a thought for the day? Too, we like to do that, and I'm putting you on the spot. Oh, we do like I to do that. I didn't warn you. I did not know about this thought of the day. Sorry. Um, I have a quote of the day. Be kind, for everyone you meet is fighting a great battle. Thanks, Dan. You're welcome. <laughs> thank you. This is Paul from Doylestown, Pennsylvania. Thank you for listening to Round Hill Radio. This podcast is brought to you by the members and friends of Round Hill Community Church. You can listen to more episodes on iTunes, SoundCloud, and roundhillcommunitychurch.org. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a review. Thank you.